This is season two of Don't Take My Word For It. My name is Bastia Guajo, and this podcast releases every Thursday, God willing, in Spanish and in English. The point of the podcast is to give you the tools to do personal Bible study, not just rely on what somebody else tells you that the Word of God says, regardless of what your stance is on belief. I will share with you the things I'm learning, what I don't know I'll be open and honest about, and what I'm not so sure or I got from another source I will share with you as well. I'm excited to share the things that I'm learning and to motivate you to do this on your own. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hi, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Don't take my word for it. My name is Vasti. And today we're doing a continuation of episode nine. Let me check. Yes, episode nine, where we did the observation of Acts three and four. Um, we were walking through practicing, putting into practice the method of study called the OIA method, where you observe, interpret, and apply. So last week, I made a series of observations, some of the basic questions, and then there were extra things that I added. I elaborated on the basic questions we ask ourselves, but there were other questions I did not answer. And so before we get into the interpretation, I'm going to share with you some of the things that I found about those observations and questions I had when I was reading. So that's how we're going to start today. Again, hopefully you have read or listened to Acts 3 to 4 recently, and this part won't make a whole lot of sense if you don't listen to episode 9, because I already ran through what the observation would have been, and we walked through it together. And the point of this is for you to do it alongside me, or if not, it's not really going to work that well. Um, so here, I'm going to share some of the answers to some of the observations that created questions for me. One of the things I had mentioned was the ninth hour in chapter 3, verse 1. It talks about Peter and John going to the temple at the ninth hour. And some of you might know what that is, but most of us, when we're reading this stuff, we don't really know. And so I didn't remember. I looked it up. It turns out that there were, according to the three different places I read, there were three different hours of prayer at that time. The first hour of prayer, and this might sound confusing. So there were three instances. I'm just going to say the third. First hour of prayer was their third hour of the day, and they started a day uh, differently than the way we do. Uh, they considered 9 a.m. to be the third hour of the day. That was the third hour post the sun rising in their location. So first hour of prayer was technically third hour of the day, and that was 9 a.m. Then there was a second time that they would pray. And that was considered their sixth hour of the day. To us, it would be noon or 12. Uh, and then there was a third time where they would pray, which they considered the ninth hour, which is what we read in the passage in Acts 3, verse 1. The ninth hour for Jews was 3 p.m. 
This was the hour of confessions. Uh, so those are the three. In Jewish time, it was the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. For us, it's 9 a.m., noon, and then 3 p.m. So this is happening to Peter and John at 3 p.m. for us, ninth hour for them. So they would regularly go in and do prayers at these times. Uh, and I think that adds a little bit more value because they were going by their routine of things they would normally do. Um, and I think that adds value to them noticing this man because maybe they had walked by him many times before. And in this occasion, they interacted with him. Um, and this is the importance of asking questions because it might add a significance. There are things we will never know. It's not going to specify anywhere that this is what happened, but it gives you a different context. Another question I had asked myself was, what was gate beautiful? Because in Acts 3 verse 2, it talks about the... Um, the uh, man sitting there asking for alms. So I wondered if there was a significance for him to be there. Was there something special that occurred there or not? Well, it turns out that this was actually kind of a hunt. And I'm going to share with you uh, one of the sources, which is where I inevitably decided to park on. But I, this is something of debate so I want to be clear that what I'm sharing with you is just the one I decided to go with. But there is debate as to what location actually the Gate Beautiful was. I'm going to put in the description of the episode um, that I got this from a webpage written by Lean Rittenmeyer in 2010 about the design of the Temple Mount uh, this person is dedicated to archaeological design, and I suppose it's historical in nature. And some of the notes that they have in the website is that some think that Gate Beautiful was something called the Nicanor Gate. Um, and this is because renowned uh, studious people of the Bible, such as Thackeray and Edersheim, uh, took from some notes by a historian named Josephus. And based on a few different things, they thought that Nicanor Gate was the probable location. Um, and then this author proceeds to say that although Nicanor Gate was beautiful, it was unlikely for a lame man to be allowed to sit in that particular gate. Uh... And if you look at two other references, which is Acts 3.11 and Acts 3.8, it describes them being at Solomon's porch at one point. Um, and Solomon's porch was east of the court of women. Uh, in Acts 3.8, it talks about how he, when he's healed, then he enters into the courts with praise, jumping up and down past Solomon's porch. These things suggest that this actually was a gate then close to Solomon's porch. And so then other people think that that is a gate named Shushan Gate. Um, 
here's another thing that he wants us to take into consideration. So we have two options so far, Nicanor Gate and the Shushan Gate. Well, the author also says, remember that this man was asking for alms, which means he wanted to be in a place where there was a lot of foot traffic. And it also begs us to think about the fact that if you had issues at that time point, you would not be enter allowed to enter into the Temple Mount, uh, usually, not necessarily... He, he might not have been considered unclean, but because he had issues, he probably wasn't allowed inside the courts um, of the Temple Mount. Um, so there's two things to consider. The Shushan Gate, which we already talked about, was mainly used for ceremonial purposes. And then the Nicanor Gate, uh, not many people were allowed to get through there. So this author actually suggests that the double gate on the south wall of the Temple Mount is probably where this man was sitting. Uh, it is still surviving today, and it is a passageway that has domes inside it, and it has a lot of beautiful carved images on it. Um, and so it would have been an effective location for him to beg, and actually most worshippers went through this gate according to this author again this is not i don't know anything about temple structure <laughs> what that would look like i'm sharing what i found in this in this page um so i thought that was really interesting um i would never have guessed that but that makes sense but again this also adds to the point that there were a lot of people going in and out and the fact that john and peter stop uh, is significant and also it begs us to think about the fact that somebody would have to drop him off probably two people by the gate so that he could get alms and that was actually a, a very very nice and loving thing to do so that he could have some money somebody dropped him off every day some other questions uh that i took for myself when I was doing observation is what is an um and basically it's the the meaning of the word is mercy or pity but it's basically any type of benefaction usually in a monetary way so I suppose that that dictionary definition of benefaction means that it was usually money but it could have also been food I'm guessing um, I'm not sure on that, so don't take that word for yourself. But uh, another thing I asked myself was if there was any significance to the fact that it says that Peter and John uh, fixed their eyes or fastened their eyes on him. And looking at using the Blue Letter Bible and the, the word tool, if you go to the Strong's Concordance and it, it kind of shows you different ways in which this word can be used, uh, it stands for looking earnestly or firmly. And I think that there is some weight to that. Because remember, this is supposed to be some well-trafficked gate. And presumably, if this is something that they did every day for different times of prayer, they would go in and out regularly. There's a lot of people going in and out. So they probably walked past this man multiple times. And for this occasion, they stopped 
and they looked earnestly at him, which means they didn't just, you know how when you're maybe nervous and you're walking in the hallway and you look up at a person and they're like, okay, they're not looking at me. Let me not say hi. Let me look again. Look down. Look up. Okay, now they're looking. Say hi or smile and then keep walking. No, they actually looked firmly. Their gaze did not waver from this man. And they actually tell him, look at us. Because he's probably looking at the ground or just putting his hand out, asking for money. And they say, look at us. I think there is some significance to the fact that they wrote that for us to know that this was happening. Um, I always like highlighting when uh, someone's being looked at earnestly. Because I think that there is a purpose for that to be written there for us to see. Another thing I had written down was the word disturbed. If you look at chapter 4, when it talks about how the priests were disturbed about the fact that these men were sharing, uh, they were teaching in the name of Jesus. And if you look at the word disturbed, it comes from the understanding of being grieved. Uh, But that can mean a lot of different things for different people. It comes from the Greek word diaponeomai. um, And it implies a couple of different things. Worried, being troubled. Uh, It could mean embarrassing a person by distracting their attention. uh, Or giving an occasion to create anxiety. But it could also mean affliction tribulation, agitation, disturbance, uh, fear, perplexity, um, fear of souls being subverted by evil doctrine, and then uh, fear of steering up a crowd. Uh, It's hard for me to really understand why this word disturb because it could kind of change your outlook on what these priests were doing and why and i don't think i have any definitive answer uh it wasn't just one priest it was multiple priests so i'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that different people in the group had different fears concerning the preaching they were doing in the name of jesus maybe some of them were afraid that this was false doctrine and that what they would typically teach in the Pentateuch uh, and in the temple was being polluted and people were being led astray. Um, But those people obviously had not seen Jesus as Lord because he had gone there and they wouldn't have believed. So that's a different problem entirely. But I do think also that some of them were either just annoyed or worried that the people were getting stirred up and they were going to lose control of the group. Um, And I think others also just wanted to continue the tradition and not have change. They were afraid of change and what that looked like for them. Because if they were no longer the authority, then maybe they weren't going to be living the same life they used to live. Um... Perhaps there are other things that went behind uh, in their minds because, as we talked about in episode 9, we get hints of the priests actually being more afraid of the responses of the people 
than of what God actually wanted, which had been revealed. Um, and I think that's also interesting to think about. Another note I had made myself during observation, which, wow, guys, this one really um, shed light into something I hadn't thought about to this degree of detail. I had a question about how, what was the law uh, about detaining people for questioning in the temple? Um, I was more concerned about whether John and Peter were kept following the law. And it turns out that they they were. Um, uh, capital punishments could not occur at night. Um, so it seems that um, when these priests took Peter and John away, they were following the law. But what I did not expect is that there were a lot of other... <laughs> laws not just timing but location um that i hadn't really thought about and when i was reading uh and i'm gonna put this in the description of the episode as usual it's called jesus's trials part five and the laws of practice that were broken um when they were trying jesus and this is in the bible says.com if you have the opportunity, go check that out and read it. Um, the amount of law loopholes that were used, the law was broken in so many ways to accuse Jesus. In every possible angle, you can look at it. It was illegitimate. All of it was illegitimate. Um and I hadn't really thought about all of those details. I, I really suggest you go and look at it. Um, it is fascinating to look at how much they were willing to bend the law, which they were supposed to be upholding uh, because they wanted to get rid of him. Uh, and, and I understand it more from the Sanhedrin point of view. Again, there there were different... Religious leaders in the time of Jesus, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Sanhedrin were the ones that did not believe in the resurrection, and because Jesus talked about the resurrection, um, that's why they didn't really follow him. However, all of these people had seen revelations that very clearly pointed to the fact that God the Father was glorifying this person, whether they believed he was a son or not, at least they were seeing evidence and they still chose to for the most part many of them did not believe that because they wanted to continue their tradition um so this one this one threw me into a loop of information that i was not expecting and I highly recommend that you look into these things and see how many laws were broken by the law upholders, supposedly, so that Jesus would be condemned. It is wild. I have to correct myself. It is not the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. Which is why you have to review things, because you might get confused like me. The Sadducees were the ones that did not believe in resurrection, because it wasn't in the Pentateuch. Um, so there's that. Uh, another thing I asked myself was about the cornerstone, because it uses 
that wording to talk about Jesus being the cornerstone, but I don't know about building techniques. Um, so the cornerstone is a foundation stone. It's called a capstone. Um, so buildings typically began with a cornerstone. It was the first and the last stone set in building. Uh, and it binds the sites of the building together, just how it's made and their method of construction. Um, so I knew that it was an important part of building process, but I didn't really know that it was the first and the last stone. And also it binds the sites of the building together and is part of the foundation. So, you know, that makes sense. Christ is the foundation and what binds all of this together. Okay, so we spent 20 minutes just going through different questions of extra details, which have added some context to what you had already read and learned with me last week and on your own. But we have to get to the interpretation part. And so interpretation is when you take what is the main subject, what is the passage saying, um, and what was the original author's intent to the original audience in their context, historically and culturally. And only when you know those things, then can we say, how can I apply this to myself, which is application. But today we're going to focus on interpretation. Um, and that's why I added some of these extra details, because I think it will help us understand more of the historical context so that we can form a better image of what was going on. I'm going to preface this part of the podcast by saying, remember that I am still learning how to do this. So there might be things I might miss. And these are um, my understandings on the main subject and what the main author is trying to tell the audience uh this is uh, going to be better if you try to do it yourself and do the exercise of trying to figure out if there was something else that i possibly missed or a lesson that can come out of this and remember we're just interpreting we're not applying yet so <clears throat> we're just trying to uh identify what was happening as the story is being told by luke to any other christian to know what happened during all of these events. So, um, the questions we're asking ourselves are, what is the main subject? What is the passage saying? And we want to look at that by um, understanding what the main author is trying to tell their audience. And if there are historical contexts that are unknown to us, then the part of observation, joining it with interpretation, is going to feed and nourish that for us and bring new understanding so overall uh what i have understood is that acts three and four is the main subject of gospel sharing with boldness within jews of jerusalem that's the main uh subject here now what is the passage saying it says a lot of different things uh from what i can uh gather and i have a list of a few things that the verse is saying 
uh, or that the chapters are saying, rather. Um, one of the things this passage is saying is that within our routine, there will be people in need that we will cross. Uh, and that's what happened to John and Peter. They were going to pray. They probably did that every every day. I'm assuming that's what they did. Um, in the different hours of the day that was just their culture of how how they did the well, that was the rule um and just this particular day this person was in need and so they had to go out of their way to do that to preach the gospel and that i think that's what one of the things it's saying there another thing is that um all miraculous power comes from god in this story um it wasn't coming from these men devoted as they were and loving of god as they were the power was coming from god and they made sure that they told everybody that um the god that they are describing that had this power they used the words god's of, god of abraham because that's what they called god and so he basically says, our God, God of Abraham, glorified Jesus. And then use that to say, you murdered him and you broke many laws to get him killed, I might add. Um, but it was your God, the God of Abraham, who basically glorified Jesus. Um, which added an extra... Uh, an extra jab at them uh, to feel that conviction of what they had done. Another thing I believe that these chapters are saying is that uh, they were very explicit about explaining that they were there and they witnessed when Jesus came back to life. Um, and if we remember, that wasn't just one day. It was multiple days, um, multiple people seeing the same things uh what else uh it's it's evident that these people did not know what they were doing when they pushed to have jesus killed uh it makes it clear in what we read that the leaders and the people were ignorant to what they were doing. Um, which is interesting because Jesus and the disciples kind of talked about who he was a lot. So they really thought they were doing the right thing is what I'm getting. What I'm understanding is they still thought, even though they heard that, they thought they were doing the right thing, defending the temple ways in Judaism by doing that and that's why it says that they were ignorant it wasn't that they literally didn't know because jesus said it that he was god they just thought that he was some crazy person um and i i think that's interesting um but there's more uh i think another thing this passage is saying is that salvation is very obviously coming to the chosen people the seed of abraham the jews first 
Um, and even though the Gentiles got access to this later, his promise was first to his to his seed. Um, one of the most uh, interesting things out of this passage is that, uh, to me, how the temple leaders operate. Um, and to be fair to them, because it was multiple leaders, it wasn't just one man from different backgrounds. Um, there was a variety of responses that we see. Uh, it just uses the word disturbed in the verses that we read, but that also, as we define the word, entails agitation, annoyance, concern. And so we can perhaps give the liberty here of saying different leaders had different reasons why they didn't want Jesus being preached. Perhaps some uh, were afraid of losing control, the power that they had from their leadership. Perhaps some were jealous because they were not able to help those who needed more help, uh, but these guys could. Perhaps they were just annoyed that things were being tried to uh, to be changed, their tradition was uh, being changed. And some might have been concerned that some false teaching was going on, um, and they were afraid of that because it was different. Other, other than for those reasons, um, they were basically all trying to stop the changing that needed to happen from the law to the grace of Jesus. And it's, it's interesting because the law was made so that we could see that we cannot be perfect as God expects perfection. Um, and that's what Jesus came here for. But they rejected the one piece that could help establish the rule of the land that they were wanting. Um, and that ties into another thing that these passages are telling us is that Jesus must be the base when it's talking about the cornerstone. Jesus must be the base with which you build your church and your life. And otherwise the building is not sound or finished. Um, that's what the author was basically telling the people at that time. The cornerstone is the beginning and the end of any construction. And without it, you don't have any sound foundation, which means you rejected the one thing that could finish and make this a good thing. Um, and I think that that's a beautiful uh, way of connecting with his audience, talking about that. Other things the passage are telling us is that an educated man that were fishermen can become effective and proficient spokespeople if they're filled by the Holy Spirit. And boldness is basically just speaking without fear, without being held back or worrying when someone's going to think about you. Um, and as Luke is relaying this story to all of his readers at that time, he was making it clear that these guys were not, uh, you know, educated orators. They were just your basic fishermen. They probably didn't have an ample vocabulary. Um, they probably would have held back of, you know, going against authoritative authority figures. But in this case, they could not do it. And they were full of boldness because the Holy Spirit made them be able to do these things. 
And that would have been obvious to them, but perhaps not to us. Uh, other things is that I think the passage is telling us is that um, the teachers or the priests were holding on to inefficient tools and they wanted to silence the solution that would fix those those problems that they had. Um, another thing I think that this passage is saying is that the priests really let John and Peter go not because good had been done. And they didn't let them go not only because they had no evidence of a wrong being done, but the real reason was that they knew that people would go against them. They had already, the the people in the temple had already ascribed what had happened to God. And so at this point, we see a revelation about the priest's hearts that even though they are making a facade that they are trying to protect the integrity of what's taught in the temple, here we see that they're really not fearing and trying to protect what God has given them. They are more afraid of the people than of God because they were willing to try to arrest them, but they had no means because they knew that the people weren't going to let them. And I think that we get a hint of that here. Um, and I think that that's very interesting. We also get from the passage that we need to obey God first and people second. When we see Peter and John standing up to basically the threat of them not being allowed to preach Jesus. Um, and that aligns with Galatians 1.10, where we're told to, you know, we're servants of God first and if we're trying to please people, then we're not serving God. Um, I also understood from this passage um, that it is biblical to pray for boldness and to go against rulings when it comes to spreading the gospel. Um, and finally... I believe that this passage is saying, or what Luke was trying to transmit to his readers, is that church had attained great power because they were of one purpose. And when sharing the gospel was their main focus, uh, they were submitting to one another, really. Uh, they didn't see one more important than the other. They didn't see their possessions as theirs. They weren't judging one another, but they were basically trying to fill in the gaps of needs for everybody. And the Holy Spirit was able to move very powerfully because they were of one mind and one purpose. Um, and that means that they were humbling one another in charitable love. Uh, not seeing their things as something to be held onto, but to share. Um, and there are probably more things that this passage is saying that I missed. 
uh, maybe other things that you found that I didn't, I didn't see. But that's the exciting part about doing this work. It's it's hard. It takes time, sometimes. But we definitely get some、uh, beautiful things to think about, and later to apply. Okay, our time is up for today. I went a little over the time, but I did want to get all of that in with you.、Um, I'm wondering how you're doing in this experience.、Um, hopefully, you've practiced it. You've done the observation, and you've done some of the interpreting, and you're learning a lot of new things. That is my desire for you. For this to be helpful, for you to do it, do it with me.、Uh, I'm learning too, and so. I want to remind you that everybody can learn how to do this, and we just have to put some effort in and use the right tools and、uh, learn some of the the basics of how to do this. And so, I will see you next week for the application of everything that we have observed and interpreted for Acts three and four. See you later.